Uh, well, good morning, everyone. Uh, my name is Stuart Mazell. I'm the lead pastor here. It's great to see all of you here. Thanks for joining us here to worship our King. Thanks for all of you who are joining us online also. And uh, just a brief word to you. If you, it's great that we have this technology. It's great that we're able to give that to people who cannot be here but would like to participate in some way. But if you are able to uh, participate, we would love to see you here in person. Just wanted to let you know that. We are, let's try that again. We are going to continue our series called What Child Is This? where we're taking a look at some of the titles of Jesus that are found in Matthew 1. And we're still in Matthew 1, 1 today. So uh, last week we looked at how Jesus is the Christ. He is the Messiah, the anointed one, the one anointed to rescue or deliver people from their sins. And today we're going to be looking at the next title in Matthew 1, 1. And here's what God's word says about Jesus from Matthew 1.1, the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Let's pray. Uh, Lord Jesus, by your Holy Spirit, give us the ability to understand and to know you better for our good, for your glory, and for the good of the people all around us here in Sumter and even around the world. Amen. So, quick question. Does anybody know this guy? Anybody know who this person is? All right, so his name is Simon Charles Durante Day. And he is a 57-year-old Australian who claims he is the son of King Charles. Anybody heard of this? No, no, it's not really big news here in the States. So anyway, he thinks, he says that he is the love child of Charles and Camilla way back when they were in their teens. They had a little fling, and apparently she was pregnant, and she raised him for eight months and then gave him over to adoption and he was adopted by the Day family. And he says that his adopted grandparents uh, used to work for the royal household. And it was they that suggested that he was actually a royal. In fact, his grandmother on her deathbed explicitly said, you are the son of Charles. So he's, filed, he's made a big deal about this in Australia and, of course, over in England, and he's filed papers to the high court to try to force Charles and Camilla to take a DNA test in order to prove that he is, indeed, their son. The royal family, however, has not seemed to take any of this seriously. Now, you can take that one of two ways. Either they go, this guy's a nut, or... He's telling the truth, and we don't want people to know. And there are people on the internet that fall on either side. Whether he really is the son of King Charles or not, we have to admit one thing, that the claim itself demands some type of attention. Either we write him off as some 
uh, raving, self-centered, attention seeker, greedy for the spotlight, or he's someone who really is the son of a king. It presses us to pay attention. To call oneself the son of a king is to claim importance, significance, and status. Today, we're going to talk about someone else who is the son of a king, who has great importance, great significance, great status, but there's no doubt as to whether he really is a son of a king. Obviously, we're talking about Jesus, and here's what we're going to talk about today, that Jesus is the son of David. Jesus is the son of David, and we see that in Matthew chapter 1, verse 1, the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David. Now, in the scriptures and in various places in history, when someone is called the son of someone Usually that just means they're a descendant of. It doesn't necessarily mean they are the direct son of the person. They are a descendant of, as in Matthew 1.20, where an angel of the Lord appears to Joseph in a dream and says, Joseph, son of David. There's no special connotation to that other than he's saying to Joseph, you are a descendant of King David. But there are other places in Scripture where we read son of David, and it means a lot more than simply a descendant, right? For example, Matthew 12. Listen to this. There's this demon-oppressed man who's blind, and he's mute, and this man was brought to Jesus, and Jesus heals him so that the man is able to speak, and he's able to see, And all the people who watched, they were amazed and they said, can this be the son of David? Do you hear that? That is not simply saying, can this be a descendant of David? Maybe, you know, maybe, you know, maybe he's, if we look at his family tree, maybe he's related to David somehow. No, that's not what they're saying. They're saying something very particular about this descendant, something very interesting for us as as people who say we believe in this king, in this Jesus. So what does this designation son of David mean? That's what we're going to talk about today. So the designation son of David means this. It points to Jesus as the ultimate king of kings. All right? The son of David designation is not just a descendant And it's not just saying that he is a king, but that he is the ultimate king of kings. In order for us to see that, we're going to have to look at a lot of scriptural passages today. So, you know, tighten your seatbelt and let's roll through this. So, first of all, let's fast forward a little bit to Matthew 22. There's a group of religious leaders called the Pharisees. And they're gathered together, and Jesus asks them a question. And his question he asks is, what do you think about the Christ? Whose son is he? Now, last week we talked about how Jesus is the Christ. He's the Messiah. He's the anointed one. So he's asking, who is this Messiah? Whose son is he? And the Pharisees say, well, he's the son of David. And, and And they're right. That is what the Messiah was. 
But in order to understand why they would think that, we have to go all the way back to 1 Chronicles 17. This is one of many places we could go, but this is one of the clearest. 1 Chronicles 17. God makes a promise to David. And here's the promise that God makes. So David is king at this time, and then God says to him, when your days are fulfilled to walk with your fathers, in other words, by the time you die, at some point after you die, I will raise up your offspring after you, one of your own sons, and I will establish his kingdom. And he shall build a house for me, and I will establish his throne forever. I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. I will not take my steadfast love from him. As I took it from him who was before you. There he's talking about Saul, who was the king before David. But I will confirm him in my house and in my kingdom forever. And his throne shall be established forever. Now put emphasis on the words forever because on the surface, if you're just reading through the scriptures and you get to this point, you think, oh, well, the fulfillment of this is David's son, Solomon, because Solomon is the next king of Israel. And Solomon does build a house for the Lord. He builds a temple. And all of these things are basically true about it, except for that word forever. Solomon died, and then his son took over, and then another son took over, and then eventually there was no king in Israel. So what does this refer to? If this is a king that is not only one who uh, establishes a house, but also one who reigns forever, who is this king? And Jews and Christians alike have interpreted this to say this is pointing ultimately to the Messiah, to the Christ, to the anointed one, the one who is anointed king to rule forever and ever. All right, you got that? Now let's go back to Matthew 22. So remember, the Pharisees are just hanging out, and Jesus is saying, hey, who do you think is the Christ? Whose son is he? And they say, well, he's the son of David. And Jesus doesn't say, no, you're wrong. No, he agrees with them, but he pushes them. In fact, he says, you're not thinking deeply enough about this. Let me t ask you a question and see if you can answer this. So in Matthew 22, 41 through 46, Jesus says to them, how is it then if Jesus is, sorry, if the son of David is the Messiah, then how is it then that David in the Spirit, in other words, the Holy Spirit is leading David to say these words, to write these words, so they have to be true. How is it that then David, in the Spirit, says, calls him Lord, saying, and he quotes from here from Psalm 110, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I put your enemies under your feet. And then Jesus says, if then David calls him Lord, how is he his son? In other words, he's saying this. Now, here's King David, and in their, in their economy, and they're thinking, the only person that is above King David is God. 
There is no other person above the king. It's God, king, everybody else. So who is he talking about if he says, the Lord, God, said to my Lord? Who is his Lord? And of course, the Pharisees are unable to answer him. They're like, I don't know. And so they don't even ask him any more questions. Well, R.T. France, who is a, a, a scholar of Matthew, says the Messiah is more than David's son. This is a great summary statement. The Messiah is more than David's son. He's not less than, but he's not more. He is more than David's son. He is his Lord. If David calls him Lord, he is clearly the son of someone far superior to David. In other words, here's the one who is the son of God, but he's also the son of David. And you put those two together and you get Jesus. And we see that very clearly in, in a passage that we read today, a passage that we read a lot during Christmas from Isaiah chapter 9, this prophecy about a child. And listen to this and think about what it's actually saying. For to us a child, a human being, is born, right? For to us a child is born. To us a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulder. Okay, so he's talking about a king. And his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor. Here's going to be someone, a king, who everybody's going to be able to come to him and say, hey, can you give us advice? Can you give us wisdom? And he's going to be able to give it to you freely. And wonderfully. And everything he's saying is going to be right. And then he says that he's also going to be called Mighty God. Wait a second. I thought this was a human being. And yet he's going to be called Mighty God? Everlasting Father. Wait, no one lasts forever. Only God lasts forever. Prince of Peace. And of the increase of his government and of his peace, there will be no end. And on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and uphold it with justice and with righteousness from when? From this time forth and forevermore. In other words, his kingdom will never, ever, ever end. This is the kind of king he's talking about. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. In other words, God really means this. He really, really means it. And this refers to Jesus. The son of David, the son of God, the king of kings. That's our Jesus. In fact, the author of Revelation says that they will make, he's talking about the, all these people who are against Jesus, and they'll say they'll make war on the Lamb, and the Lamb will conquer him. Why? Because he is the Lord of lords and the King of kings. He's not just a king. He's not just a Lord. He is the Lord over all other lords. He is the King over all other kings. And this church... This, folks, my friends, 
is the message that the early church preached over and over again as good news. Jesus is Lord. Caesar is not Lord. Jesus is Lord. And it's what got them persecuted. It's what got them uh, thrown in prison. It's what got them uh, killed. Pause for just a moment. We hear that and we go, well, that doesn't sound like good news to me. You know why? Because <laughs> we're Americans. And Americans have built into our DNA, kings are not good. Democracy is where it's at. The people should rule, not a king. Now, I'm not knocking America. America's a great place to live. I love America. I love our freedoms. But I'm telling you, because this is the world we live in, this is the society that we are in, we are blind to some of the things that we do. And one of the things that we do is we take the good news that Jesus is king and we change it into something else. Jesus is my savior. Now, Jesus is your Savior, but the reason he's your Savior is because he's king, king of kings. He could not save you if he wasn't the king. All right? When, when I was a kid, um, I loved Saturday mornings because Saturday mornings meant cartoons. They don't do cartoons on Saturday morning anymore because you have Cartoon Network and all those other things. But anyway, I would wake up early and I'd start watching cartoons. And on ABC, they'd have these short little music videos called Schoolhouse Rocks. Does anybody remember that? Schoolhouse Rock, it rocked. I mean, it was all 70s, but it was cool. And it would teach you things. And there's one about the uh, war, the War of Independence. And the song is entitled... No more king. And I remind myself of this every Christmas because it is helpful for me to see the blinders I put on when it comes to a king. And here's what it says. So, you know, they, they do the whole story of independence, of how we're trying to escape from the king. And then at the very end, they say, we're going to elect the president. No more king. He's going to do what the people want. No more king. We're going to run things our way. No more king. Nobody's going to tell us what to do. That is ingrained in our system, folks. It is. You know what it reminds me of? <laughs> Not too long ago, my family and I, we read through the book of Judges. I would not necessarily recommend it for small children, because <laughs> it gets kind of graphic and bleak. But at least twice in the book of Judges, the author of that book says, in those days, there was no king in Israel, and everyone did what was right in his own eyes. And you know what happened? It was awful. I cannot, well I can, but I will not tell you 
all the atrocities that happened at the end of Judges right now because there are probably some sensitive ears that could not even deal with some of the things that happened. And if we look at our society today and we ask, where does everyone doing what is right in their own eyes get us? Well, we're headed there. If we're not already there, and it is not good for us. We need a king. Not a king of America. A king that can change the world. Jesus is that king. See, the only reason we don't want Jesus to be the son of David, the king of kings, is because we don't trust him. I mean, that's what it is when we're looking at government leaders, right? We don't trust them. I went home for a funeral. You heard about that in the prayer. And I'm sitting with my mom, and we're watching something on the news, and it shows the Republic. I think it was the Republican debate. And my mom makes the comment, they're all crooks. You can't trust any of them. And that's kind of what we feel about whether we're Republican or Democrat or somewhere in between. It doesn't really matter. We look at our officials and we kind of go, I don't know if I trust you. The reason we don't want Jesus to be king is because we don't trust him. We think we could probably rule better. If I was king of the world, we wouldn't be in the mess we're in right now. That's what we tell ourselves. And we might say, oh yeah, 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 Jesus, yeah, he's, he's probably a good king, but I think I could do his job better. You know, Jesus, he's probably a good king, but I'm afraid he might tell me to do something I don't want to do. So, yeah. Jesus, he might be a good king, but I don't think he's a good king for me. Does that fit for anybody? Now, maybe you wouldn't say those words out loud. But if we were to, like, look at our heart, I think you'll find there's probably a little stream of that in there. Because another thing that we do as Americans is we're very individualistic. We think mainly about ourselves. Jesus is the type of king that says, oh, the kingdom is so much bigger than you. So much bigger, so much better than you. Oh yeah, you can be involved, and I want you to involve, but it's so much bigger than just your individual salvation. And that's where we need to learn to trust King of kings, Jesus, the son of David, because he is a righteous king. Righteous simply means he always does what's right. Name me one politician who always does what is right. Name me one person who always does what is right other than Jesus. You can't. 
But Jesus always does what is right because he is a righteous king. Jesus is a just king. He always upholds justice. Jesus is a wise king. Remember, he's the wonderful counselor that we can go to and say, I don't know what to do. Give me counsel. And he is a wonderful counselor who will shower us with wisdom as we ask with faith. Jesus is the prince of peace. If there's anything our world needs, it's peace. Peace. And not just peace between each other, but peace between us and our God. And Jesus makes that peace. Jesus is a king of joy. His kingdom is a kingdom of righteousness, peace, and joy. Joy overflows. I I love somewhere in Jonathan Edwards, he says that heaven is going to be ever-expanding joy. Think about that. Ever-expanding joy. That's the kingdom of the Son of David. That's the kingdom of our Jesus. The joy never ends. And it always just gets better with every passing day. I don't know how you measure time in eternity. And Jesus is a king of love. You know, a lot of times the reason why we don't trust our politicians and our government leaders is because they abuse their power, right? But Jesus doesn't abuse his power Jesus is abused for us. He was abused at the cross. And he subdued his power in order to give us blessing. And yet, this is not a weak king. This is not a wimpy king. This is uh, someone who can't help but be overwhelmed and overpowered like some wimpy kid being bullied on the playground. No, this is a king who is able to wipe out his enemies with just one word. One little word could fell them all. But instead, he chooses to show grace. He chooses to show mercy. He chooses to show compassion. He chooses to show kindness. He chooses to give them time and space in hopes that maybe they would repent and turn from their evil ways. And that's not just true for the folks out there. That's true for us. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, but he's patient with us, wanting all of us to come to repentance to turn from our ways, and to turn to him. That's our king. That's the son of David. And so when we start thinking, wait a second, I want a king for me that will do what I want, we have to expand our vision. We have to expand outside of what's just best for me. We want what's best for us, yes, but we want what's best for the world, And Jesus is the son of David who brings that about. And I'm going to try to explain this in just a minute. So hold on, because this is a lot. Jesus, as the ultimate king, as the ultimate king of kings, Jesus will not only save us from our sins, he will restore and renew all creation. That's what kind of king we have. 
He's not just a king who says, okay, well, you know, you know, uh, you're safe from your sin, and you're safe from your sin, and you're safe from your sin, and you're safe from sin, and you're safe from your sin, and okay, but I'm sorry, you're just going to have to deal with it for the rest of eternity. Just have to deal with all the other sinful things in the world, all the fallen, broken mess. Now, that's not our Jesus. No, our Jesus is the one who is the ultimate king. He has the power and the authority to make all things new, to transform not only us as people, but the world. That's some good news. That's why we sing during this season. Joy to the world, the Lord has come, right? No more let sins or sorrows grow, nor thorns infest the ground. He comes to make his blessings flow far as the curse is found. How far is the curse found? Everywhere you look. And Jesus says, everywhere you look, I am come to shower you with blessing because I'm going to restore and renew all creation. Now, it may not happen in your lifetime, but it will happen. It's his promise. In fact, um, I've been reading this book called Making All Things New by uh, Benjamin Glad and Matthew Harmon. Great book. A little on the heady side. Great book. And, and, and they say in that book, God will raise up a spirit-anointed descendant of David. And his rule over humanity will be marked by righteousness and faithfulness. This is the part that I wanted to highlight. But this rule will not be limited to humanity. It will entail the transformation of creation itself. The Spirit transforms nature and God's people so that they both bear the marks of new creation. This restoration is accomplished by a Spirit-anointed servant who will be a light for the nations so that the Lord's salvation will extend to the ends of the earth. And some of this is already talked about in the book of Ezekiel. Ezekiel 34, I'm going to go through this quickly. God says to his people, I myself will be the shepherd of my sheep and I will make them lie down, declares the Lord God. I will, listen, seek the lost and I will bring back the strayed and I will bind up the injured and I will strengthen the weak. And how is he going to go about this? A few verses later in verses 23 and 24, I will set up over them one shepherd, my servant, David. You hear it? And he shall feed them. And he shall feed them and be their shepherd. And I, the Lord, will be their God. And they and my servant, David, will be the prince among them. I am the Lord. I have spoken. And this is why, and I don't know if you've ever noticed this, but when people in the book of Matthew particularly called out for Jesus to heal them, what was their favorite phrase to call him? Son of David. Because they were referring to this passage, that he's going to come after the lost sheep, the ones who are broken, the ones who need healing, and he's going to bring it. Look at, look at it. Matthew 9, 27. As Jesus passed on from there, two blind men followed him, crying aloud, Have mercy on us, son of David. Matthew 15, 22, a Canaanite woman from the region came out and was crying, Have mercy, O Lord, son of David. 
My daughter is severely oppressed by a demon. Matthew 20, verses 30 through 31. And behold, there were two men, two blind men, sitting by the roadside. And they heard that Jesus was passing by. And they cried out, Lord, have mercy on us, son of David. And the crowd rebukes them, telling them to be silent. And they cried out all the more, Lord, have mercy on us, son of David. You hear it? They're referring to this passage in Ezekiel. They're saying, we know you are the Messiah. You are the king. You are the anointed shepherd who will heal us. And not only us, but you're going to heal our world. As uh, Glad and Harmon say in their book, through his healing, Jesus is exercising his authority over creation in anticipation of its total transformation on the last day. As the son of David, Jesus demonstrates he is the true shepherd king over an eternal kingdom by healing those who cry out for him, to him for mercy. This is our king. A righteous, wise, holy, good, loving, merciful, kind, gracious king who is powerful enough to transform all creation and make us all new creations in him. Why wouldn't we trust someone like that? Why wouldn't we bow the knee to him and say, Jesus, you're my king. You're my Lord. Tell me what to do because I know whatever you say to me is best. For your action point today, something you can take home. And it's very similar to what we talked about last week because, let's face it, you probably forgot what we talked about last week. Just being honest. Believe. Believe in and celebrate Jesus as the Son of David. Believe in and celebrate Jesus as the Son of David. Believe in Jesus. Maybe there are people here today who do not believe in Jesus as the Messiah, as the King of kings and Lord of lords. Today would be a great day to say, I surrender. I don't want to be king over my own life. I know where that's going to lead. It's going to lead to destruction. I want those showers of blessings that we sang about when we sang the Hail to the Lord's Anointed, Great David's Greater Son. He showers us with his blessing. That's what I want in my life. So I give up the right to be my own king. And I bow the knee to you, Jesus, the King of Kings. Today would be a great day to do that. But for those of us who already believe, let me just say this. Part of believing is not just saying, I believe, it's putting that belief into action. You know, all those people who were hurt, who were blind, who were demon-oppressed, they cried out to Jesus, Son of David, have mercy on me. So if you believe in Jesus and you're going through a rough patch, you're going through something difficult, maybe it's physical, maybe it's emotional, maybe it's mental, maybe it's spiritual, cry out to him. Son of David, Jesus the King, have mercy on me and make me new.
He loves to answer those prayers. But we also celebrate Jesus. And we celebrate him as king. Not just as savior, as king. And as we close, I want to I refer to a passage in 1 Kings that I came across this week and I thought, oh, oh, okay, all right, I need to include this. So in 1 Kings chapter 1, Zadok the priest, he takes this horn of oil from the tent and he anoints Solomon as king, okay? And they blow the trumpet and all the people say, long live King Solomon. They're celebrating, right? And then all the people went up after him, playing on pipes and rejoicing with great joy so that the earth was split by their noise. Now, lots of commentators on this passage, because I I looked it up, lots of them say, well, that's hyperbole. It didn't really split. It was just a really loud noise. Maybe. I don't know. I wasn't there. And neither were those commentators. So we really don't know. But whatever was happening, I can tell you this, they were making some noise. They were celebrating. They weren't like, oh, come all ye faithful, joyful and triumphant. No, they were celebrating their king, and that was Solomon. Folks, there is someone greater than Solomon among us, and his name is Jesus the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And if that's how they celebrated over Solomon being king, what should we do for a king like Jesus? We ought to raise the roof. We ought to split the ground. We ought to make all of Sumter go, what in the world is going on over there at Westminster Presbyterian Church? They're so loud in their celebration of Jesus. That's the kind of joy we need to find in him. And not just on Sunday mornings, all of our lives, every day, wake up with joy on our lips. Jesus is king. Hallelujah. So let's find great joy in the king of kings, Jesus, the son of David. Let me pray for us that we'll be able to do this. Holy Spirit, would you please fill us and empower us to get over ourselves, to get over that sense that we think we're a better king, we would be a better king, that we control our lives better than Jesus. And would you cause us to not only bow the knee and believe in Jesus as king, but to really, with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength, not only love him, but rejoice and celebrate him for who he is, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Hallelujah. We pray in his name. Amen.